Oh yeah, love me like a buzzsaw. This is the horse's mouth, and I'm El Donzo. And joining us in the studio via phone today, we have the man himself that wailed that awesome song out, Mr. Bobby Liebling, the lead singer of Pentagram. Bobby, are you there, brother? I'm here. How's it hanging? Loud and clear. I'm hanging in there, man. You know, just uh, waiting for some of this corona stuff to die down a little bit. Yeah, how's that? So how's that been affecting you guys? I mean, obviously you guys can't tour or do anything like that at the moment. No, everything is kind of on hold. Just uh, you know, recently places uh, have the the rate going back up. I noticed, you know, in about forty states. So that sucks. <laughs> yeah, the one good thing I've noticed about it uh, is at least the deaths aren't going up. I mean, I think that's the only positive to it. So if this stuff spreads like wildfire, spreads like wildfire. Um, so currently, yeah. with this going on right now and how it's affecting live music and uh, and Pentagram at the moment, uh, you guys trying to hunker down in the studio or you got anything coming up album-wise that you're working on kind of in the shadows right now while everything's at this dead spot? Well, we haven't done anything recording-wise. I mean, logistically, we're all far apart and, and so forth. And, but we've, we're kind of planning on putting up a, a split-screen video of something fairly soon. I mean, we will want to get something out there to let people know that we're still, you know, kicking and still doing it. Right, right. But but nothing nothing else. I mean, everybody's kind of, you know, you know, falling back into a little extra paranoia because of the situation out there, you know. Well, it's one of those things, too, where it's almost you're damned if you do and you're damned if you, and you're damned if you don't. I mean, did you hear what right. did you hear what Sammy Hagar said about this? Uh, no, I didn't, but go let me know. Yeah, he he's pretty much taken the stance that this is his life, and this is what he does in his livelihood, and he's 71 years old, and if it kills him, it kills him, but he wants to get back out there and do what he was born to do. And um, I know you're, what, 65, 66, so I didn't know if you kind of had that same mentality starting to brew after being down this long, like enough's enough, or... Yeah, I, I really kind of do have that that kind of mindset. I mean, uh, you know, if it gets me, then it was my time, and if it doesn't, then it's not. And, but uh, I really, really would like to get back up there. I mean, uh, our guitar player, Matt uh, Goldsboro, is of the same ideology sort of that I am. Although uh, <clears throat> the other couple of guys, they have uh, a home, you know, family, and uh, wives and kids and so forth and so on, and they're a little bit more apprehensive about it, you know. So I hope we can come to a meeting of the minds soon. But I, if it were up to me, I would just go back out there and start doing it and the hell with it, you know. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, you got to do it at some point. You just got to pick up your guns and go to town. So Right, it's, yeah. Something we touched on yesterday, I think, we talked a little bit, but so – you look at these bands that came up that were defining genres at the time, and I think you and Pentagram really did that. You defined the whole doom genre, and I've heard you say before you're not really big on the term doom. Is is that correct, or am I misinterpreting yeah. that? Yeah, no, no, uh, that's very, very on the nail. I mean, it's, uh, I'm not into the doom metal thing, as a label, because as far as I'm concerned, Pentagram, uh, we play kind of some of the stuff might be depressing downer, bummed out sounding or pissed off, but uh, the doom metal bands in quotes 
I'm not a fan of. It's just, uh, I, I feel like most of them are just too plodding, too pretentious, and uh, half of them you can't understand any of the vocals. Yeah, you know, because of the growling, the growling stuff I can't stand. I'm a, you know, a traditionalist. To me, it's like I want to sing, which is contains notation, you know? Right. It's kind of odd that that all gets lumped together, too. So one thing that I had on my mind that I kind of wanted to, we talked about the genres and the people that define them, and, of course, Pentagram did that as well with this right. real early on before anybody, I think anybody knew what, what you guys were doing. Um yeah. What was there something, you know, I can ask you about bands that influenced you back in the day, but we know that we know you're a big fan of Wishbone Ash and Blue Cheer and numerous other ones. Aside from bands, was there anything that maybe when you were growing up, something you were exposed to, some kind of lifestyle, something you were around that may have shaped the way that you create music? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of my earlier stuff uh, was kind of an outlet of aggression which is is the same in many musicians case but uh it was an outlet of, of being mad about relationship situations and like i touched on with you when we spoke before uh a lot of it also came from a feeling uh feeling self-propelled in the sense that a lot of my tunes are not, uh, they're not about outer situation subject matters. They're very personalized right. and, you know, from an inside view. And I was, you know, kind of frustrated growing up and, and so forth and so on. And so when I, you know, heard people playing the, the downtrodden type of stuff, I could relate with that more in the personal situations of myself. You know. and, and that definitely comes out and it comes out in the music and especially the lyrics. I think there's something so personal about the lyrics that you've written for a lot of the songs on these albums. It's just it, it's not your cookie cutter. Let's just go with what rhymes here or what fits here. It seems like there's actual meaning in those almost, you know, almost like the Jim Morrison poetry thing in a lot of these songs is what I pick up on it. Yeah, I, I, like I say, it, it's, it's very first person a lot of my songs are i and you know i'm not trying to be narcissistic it's just the way that i you know unquote view things it's uh, i i see things like from my own life right and don't try to project it into a situation outside myself because i guess i i don't know about those situations first person you know they're they're only an observer's view, you know. Right, right, absolutely. But the way they get conveyed, like I said, is just something that seems so on a deeply personal level with you. And speaking of speaking of personal albums, one of my favorites. I, I and I, I think you're going to let me know about if this is one of your favorites or not. But Sub Basement. Sub Basement is my very favorite Pentagram album that we ever did. Uh, that it has. Uh, first of all, I'm in love with the the mix and the and the production on it. Uh, I'm a studio oriented musician in first. As far as uh, I never used to like playing live nearly as much as I like studio work, which kind of surprises some people. Um, 
I like the fact that in the studio you can go back and you can correct things, you know, glitches and little you know, mishaps and so forth. And also that the overdub situation. Sub-basement is full of overdub guitars, like stacked on real thick. You can thicken up the sound. You can adjust things. And I like the studio more than I enjoy playing live. I mean, of course, I, I like playing live, you know. But in the studio, you can fine-tune things. And Sub-Basement really had a lot of that. You know, the song, the songs on there, like most Pentagram albums, have some very, very much older than the recording. You know, they were written, and other ones were written, you know, right around the time of Sub-Basement uh, by Joe and myself. But I just, I just enjoy the overall bummed-out, nature that sub-basement seems to present it does it does project quite the gloom and it's really cool and you did that one with joe hasselvander correct yes uh that one and the review choices album also so it seems like you and joe kind of bounce back and forth between the years collaborating so is that still a healthy relationship you guys still getting together and and doing stuff on the side or or no 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 we don't do anything uh, nowadays but uh I've always uh, talked to Joe several times uh, in recent past, in the last few years, and I very much would love to someday get together, just the two of us, and do, an, you know, whether it was labeled as Pentagram album nowadays or not, uh, because, you know, Joe does his own thing and I do mine, but even without that label, I would love to do like a second volume of that kind of a thing. Because Sub-Basement really had a unique feeling to me. Yeah, it does. It stands out from all the Pentagram albums. Um, and I guess I, what's got to be nice about that is Hasselvender plays like all the instruments, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He's super ultra-talented musician. And uh, a dear buddy, I love him to death. And, uh, you know, of course, when you work with someone on and off for 20, 30, 40 years, whatever, you have falling outs. But Joe and I have a very close view when it comes to playing of what we like to do you know we both grew up loving the same bands basically and so forth and joe had that same kind of frustration to want to let it out in a real pulverizing heavy way like i do you know right so yeah we we're not doing anything now but hopefully someday you know God willing, I will be able to do another record, just the two of us together. That would be fun. I think it'll happen. I think it's pretty cool. And you can definitely hear how you guys work together on albums like that. So something else I wanted to ask you about. So you released Mm -hmm. your first album in, what, 85? The first actual uh, full-length studio album? Right, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So between 69, when you guys started, and the release of that album, what did that decade entail for you guys? Well, I mean, back in those days, you know, uh, Pentagram really didn't play very often uh, in the 70s, up until, well, until the mid-70s. When we started out, we just practiced religiously three or four times a week uh, at my drummer, Jeff O'Keefe, the original drummer. He... uh, he, his father used to run a Peace Corps junk mail warehouse. And so we used to be able to store all of our equipment and play as loud as we want. And 
we were locked in a situation where nobody could bother the band and we couldn't bother anybody else because we love playing really, really incredibly loud. It's nice when you don't have to worry about pissing people off, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> you can just yes, you're very, very much it. Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, we, you know, definitely did that for the most part in the early seventies, and uh, we had rehearsals. You know, like I said, religiously three times a week at least wow. for three or four hours. You know, they were scheduled type of thing. You know, right. on the slate, and but we couldn't get gigs in the early days because. In the Washington D.C. area, the heavy, the rock, hard rock thing—I'll put a general term of hard rock, you know, all kinds of metals and whatever you want to bag them as nowadays, which I don't like all the labels, subdivision. But you couldn't play live if you played original material. It was absolutely forget it. Washington D.C. had the lousiest music scene. People. Uh, always come up and say, wow, because D.C. has such a good music scene. D.C. Maryland, bullshit. You know? Yeah, but a, no. It wasn't any good for original music, and that's that's something I think starting out a lot of bands have that issue. Almost all of them is, look, when you play in a cover band, you're going there. What This is what I picked up from it. Yeah, cover bands get the gigs, but people go there to drink beer and listen to the band is what yeah. I always got from cover bands. When you're original band, your goal is to have people come there and listen to you and drink beer. So it's it's it was always the reversal in my mind. And it's got to be the right outlet and the right time to get people in that. And it's just so difficult because you get this this thing where, where people go out and they want to hear the same damn thing over and over and over again. Yeah, well, they, they want to drink beer and dance and uh, pick each other up in clubs. So really, all you're doing is by being, you know, a cover band, you're serving as a a mobile jukebox. Exactly. Right? And that's what they wanted, and that's all they would accept back then, especially in this tri-state area, Virginia, Washington, Maryland. You know, uh, so you couldn't get gigs. It was just you play originals. No. Uh-uh. So we what we did is. Uh, eventually, when we started to be able in the mid-70s to play around at a few places, we would – we had to – first of all, we had to go back and revamp and learn all covers. <laughs> and so it was Pentagram plays jukebox. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and then sneak your originals would, in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to stick in two or three and hope people – you know <laughs> – didn't know some of the obscure covers we were playing and think, well, these are just covers too, you know, when they were our songs. <laughs> I think that's so a, cover yourself. <laughs> that's yeah. that's that's like the, the the classic pain of doing original music right there. But, you know, Pentagram has grown into something and especially since the uh, documentary came out. Uh, right. last days here, since that documentary came out. I've seen this really blow up. I knew about you guys years and years ago and listened to the music, but I've seen it become such a more commercialized thing now that people are really picking up on this. And I think Pentagram seemed to have gotten enough speed to where it's becoming a name that everybody is familiar with, whether they listen to that genre or not at this point, which is really cool. Yeah, I certainly hope so. <laughs> you um, know, uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, that the documentary, of course, helped an awful lot of exposure. You know, I mean, there's there and there's no old footage 
someone messaged me yesterday. It was really interesting. There's no old footage of the band from the 70s at all that I know of existing around. You know, so uh, it, it was, it's fun knowing that finally everything has gotten to everyone, you know, and they know the band's history does go back pre-dating the first album, you know, quite a ways. Absolutely, and there's a lot of good stuff from there, too. And I know it's been, you know, re-recorded over the years, but the original stuff that, that was the singles or the bootlegs, I always go back and listen to them, and I'm just in awe. I just think they're such awesome songs. You know, one of them is Forever My Queen. Right. And right. I don't know if it's uh, the Star Wars guys or you have the lock on that riff, but it, and somebody's had to have brought this up before. That get that down, 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 always reminds me of the Darth Vader theme. Well, it's a, when I first wrote it, I wrote Forever My Queen uh, because I heard Gypsy by Uriah Heep. Oh, great and it song. The same, da 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 It had that same kind of just stomp on the beat type of thing. And uh, <clears throat> I wanted to write something of that ilk, you know. Yeah, and it definitely worked. I mean, it's timeless. Like I said, I can listen to it a hundred times a day, and it's still as cool as the first time I listened to it. So yeah, you, you know, Joe and I recorded that later on on Review Your Choices again, which it, very few people ever mentioned that uh, that version of Forever My Queen. But you know, we did re-record it in kind of a a more downtrodden type of way with a heavier arrangement and an extra verse of vocals and so forth. But yeah, Forever My Queen is pretty neat. It always reminded me it had this Arabian Eastern kind of feel. To yes. It was a, it's like yeah. a juggernaut of a song. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we were talking about you know being jukeboxes and whatnot and I, mm -hmm. think, I think you're kind of on this thing too is, is live shows have to be live. As in, you got to give people a reason to go to a live show. And I can tell you from watching your shows, Pentagram has absolutely delivered that. Well, thanks, man. I mean, you know, live shows to me uh, are now they, they become much more important than they were years ago, you know, because of uh, having somewhat of a recognized name now, I guess, you know, and, and a fan base and so forth. But live shows, I've always kind of felt are uh, important to give the people a show. In the music and look like you're, you know, taking out the trash or going to the Safeway on the weekend. And so like that. You know. it's, by, it's listen to the album at that point. I mean, I've been to a lot of shows that have been like that, but like I said, not yours. And even that, you know, I caught your show at Reggie's in Chicago last year. And I remember you came up to me. We, we were at, sitting at the bar, and I said, hey, Bobby. And you came over, hey, man, and you, and you could barely talk, and you're talking about losing your voice, and, and you got up on stage. <laughs> and you went up there, and you killed it. I mean, you absolutely just murdered it. And in between songs, you couldn't talk. You were like, it was like that Ozzy Osbourne thing where he can't talk, but he can sing great. And I, it was just one of those things that blew me away that you just got up there and just kicked ass at all costs. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you thought so. I mean, I I thought, wow, boy, I suck tonight. Uh, but you know, I had a lot of people come up and they still enjoyed this show. 
and regardless of you know my voice being gone or not you know or shot that night i felt like it's it's still important to give the people something to look at as well as hear like you like you touched on about not you know just go home and play the album if you want to just hear the songs you can go home and hear them real polished up and slick and a great version on a record but live you know it's got to have that that dynamic of hey we paid to see a show so you have to show for them exactly you know? and we talked about and that's that. where my my glam yeah my glam type of looking you know on stage and so forth and you know we're in the high heels and the chicks tops and all this kind of stuff and you know different kinds of crazy things through the years is important to very important to me I mean, it takes me it takes me hours uh when i'm getting ready to go on the road of interchanging the suitcase and say oh wait a minute i forgot to put that in here you know i forgot this vest i forgot that jacket it's not just well i've got my jeans on and my uh, football jersey uh, so now we're just going to hit the road, and all I need is uh, an extra T-shirt. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, but and when I, we, you know, you still do that, and the, which is great. You still do the makeup and everything too. Uh, I, you don't cake yourself in makeup, but I see the eyeliner, which is awesome. But you see a lot of bands that have been doing this for as long as you guys have. I mean, you guys have been out there rocking probably longer than most of your fans have been alive. What's how's that make you feel? Do you ever reflect on that and be like, "Wow, this has had some longevity to it." do nowadays because you know when you're talking about playing live and our live set i feel like has to the overwhelming predominance of it has to be what would be in quote the greatest hits of pentagram right uh and and that's it's important to me even though i mean i might be sick of playing some of the songs you know for the millionth time around but i am very aware now when I see people, you know, that are barely, you know, out of their, their teens or their 20s and so forth, of realizing, hey, I yet hit another generation. <laughs> and that's important to me, you know, because I've got, I have pictures now of people coming up, younger people, I and see they've them got all the their time. dad with them. Yeah, and their dad is with them. <laughs> and it's like, wow, what, can we both get a picture? And I'm honored that it really, you know, I love that that feeling that hey man you passed it down another twenty something years went by and you're still listening you know it's kind of it really makes you bubble inside it feels good it's got to be awesome we're able so you yeah. talked about some guy coming up with their dad or you know Bobby it's been a long time maybe it's their grandfather but can you yes, imagine yes can you just imagine thirty years from now some kid yeah, well, going through his yeah. going through his grandpa's CD or record collection finding pentagram. 30 years from now and putting that on for the first time and just absolutely having his ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel really, now we're getting around, I'm in my mid sixties and we're getting around to the third generation. Right. Like in 2019, uh, when we toured, we just went around the U S you know, small club circuit, but, it was really fun because there were so many young, young people. I mean, you know, kids are, you know, 18 years old. They're barely, you know, they're getting carded to get in the bar and so forth. And it's really neat that, you know, well, my grandfather 
you know, had some of this stuff, and, and my dad got his collection, <laughs> and now I listen to him. It feels so, it's a neat feeling, man, you know, it's, it's a hell of a long time, you know, I think about it, wow. <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you, we talked about this, I think, at one point, but the nerves, do you still get any nerves when you go out there, or is it kind of like, almost like the first time, right before you walk up on onto a stage? Well, it's sort of like the other day when I spoke to you about this this part of it. Uh, I'm nowadays okay. I go on stage very very sober and seeing things really clearly, and I still get the butterflies when it's time to go up there. Even though I mean they go away like after you know half of the first song, let's say you get into but, it. Yeah, but I'm still nervous, and and being very very clear-headed up there is not what I was used to years ago, and so I'm I'm yeah I'm a very very introverted private person, even though people like people know me in the rock and roll field as being this crazy outgoing flamboyant you know and so forth. But in life, I'm a very reclusive private person, and I'm very, very shy. I, I have a lot of insecurities, you know, like like many of us do. Right. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we all have that. And so when I get up there, at first, it's like, wow, are they going to think I'm an ass? <laughs> are they, are they going to think I'm stuck up if I hold my head up high? You know? And I'm real conscious of this stuff. So at first, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very nervous still and still get the fluttering. You know, and so before we go on stage, I always practice stomping my foot real hard on the floor because I guess that's a physical psychosomatic deterrent from nerves. You know, it's an outlet. Like, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go. You know, you got to rev up yeah. to do the performance. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You got to pump right. yourself up. It's one of those things to where you, you pump yourself up, you get the blood going, you get over the butterflies, you get out there and you kick ass. So yeah, I absolutely, yeah. absolutely know all about that. And then of course, you know, my thing, and I've played live music before too, nothing on right. your level by any, by any means, but you always got that thing about, man, what if I bone up in front of all these people? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when there's not a lot of people out there, it's harder to get going in one sense. It's harder to get going because you don't have the up and back feed from the audience reaction, you know, and the place isn't stuffed, so it's not making you feel like, wow, I'm on top of the world kind of feeling. But then on the other side of the coin, it can be easier to play with less people because you're not worried about being judged as much, which you and I spoke about before. I mean, our, our audience nowadays, even though it's full of, you know, younger people and so forth, or people who haven't heard the band, it also is full of musicians. Right. And, you know, you, you can't help but feeling the peer pressure because you'll see people who you just have this kindred spirit to out there with their arms folded, kind of standing close, but having no reaction at all. And, you know, this guy's in a band, I'm sure, because he's, he's trying to see how many mistakes we make in our own songs. Right? But, yeah, you know, I know there's people like out, like that out there, but that's, you know, going back to the thing with live music and why I absolutely <laughs> li love watching you guys is 
Look, and I didn't catch any. I'm just saying overall, when you're playing live music, mistakes get made. That's why you go to see a live show. You got to see something different, warts and all. But there's stuff that, that you get when you go to a show that you definitely don't get on an album, and that is your facial expressions. <laughs> right, right, yeah. We talked about that, yeah. It's, you know, I mean, there's sometimes, of course, when I'm conscious or I'll open my eyes real wide. And I used to practice on this, like staring in the mirror without blinking. <laughs> and I can actually do it longer than most people I noticed. So I kind of really rehearsed it. And now sometimes I can stand up there and they say, it's all next impossible. I can stand up for like three clock minutes without blinking. You, I've never tried it. Down. I've never. How did you come up with that? Why did you decide that you didn't want to blink? <laughs> well, we used to we used to like to scare people. I mean, people used to say, uh, you know, they'd see the wild antics and the high fives and all this kind of the dark side of things, and say, "Wow, man, the guy must be the devil or something." <laughs> He's not and, blinking. It's unnatural. <laughs> right, it's very unnatural, and it, so it gives them a focal point to remember during the night. But you know, overall, it's just the contortions and the facial, you know, different, you know, expression is just really a way of the music filtering through my body. I think I don't do them for the most part on purpose. It just happens. It's, it's that like trans- this is how you have like this transformation, right? It's because yeah, you you're do. not the like, most people, you know, n- nobody's ever the same when they go on. So, well, some people are, and it's boring, but the Bobby Liebling I've talked to over the past year, or that I've actually met in person is not the person I see up on that stage. I mean, it's like something just, just like a light switch flips <laughs> and you turn into this animal up there and it's just absolutely awesome. It's like watching somebody. <laughs> I can only imagine you walking up the steps. It's like the werewolf transformation in American werewolf in London. Very, very much so. I mean, when I go up, it's, yeah, you have to do that. I mean, like I was saying before, I'm, if you notice, I'm kind of hesitant to say certain things or I stumble on my words, maybe. All people do this when they, they get a little bit of nerves, you know, hit them. And I'm an introverted person. I'm very, very shy and soft spoken off stage. When it comes to, you know, strangers or, you know, people I haven't met and fans, of course, my gratitude to them also. But when you go up there, man, it's like now I must bring it. And you have to be able to flick that switch and not just go up there the way you were acting an hour ago when you were, you know, when they were sound checking or loading in or something like that. You have to know it's time to show something to them. Right. Yeah. That's important, man. You know, Freddie Mercury was another one of those that I guess was just couldn't hold a conversation with anybody when he was off stage. I mean, just severely introverted, but you'd never think of it seeing him up there on stage. There's always a different side. Somebody there's always a side to somebody you never really get to see if you just watch the stage. But when you meet them, it's like, wow, this is it's even more impressive at that point, in my opinion, anyway. Well, you know, when, when you're being yourself. Your, yourself that's the, the normal offstage, not, you know, in in quotes, the Bobby Liebling pentagram guy, you know, uh, you, your regular personality hopefully will come back. Well, because I don't, I don't want to come off stage and be 
Dr. Nuts all the time. Yeah, you don't want the you don't want the Alice Cooper thing where he became Alice Cooper. He went from being oh, what's his name? Uh I can't even remember. Vince Furnier. Yeah, Vincent Furnier, yeah. You go from being Vince mm-hmm. to being Alice twenty four seven. No wonder the guy almost died like a thousand times. Um so Yeah, yeah that, because then you feel like you have to can I live up to what they think I am? Right. Yeah. Right. And there's always got to be that kind of pressure mountain. So yeah, there's got to be dividing. Yeah. We talked yesterday and this is something that I had to ask and it was, it actually had me rolling. You couldn't see me. We're on the phone, but I asked you about a spinal tap moment. (laughs) Yeah. Come Uh, on. uh, Well, yeah, there, there sometimes there were spinal tap moments. Like uh, I remember one time, we're playing at a place called Spectators, which is in Western Maryland, and it was way up in the hills, and it was it was a converted abandoned ski lodge that was to a nightclub, wow. and we yeah we went into the place and uh, we were you know all still getting high and stuff like that back then and so forth and. There were a whole lot of rooms upstairs in this place that were, well, you guys have the, the whole top floor for dressing room. You, you know, just have at it. Right. And there were all these empty rooms and stuff. So uh, I guess it would be kind of like there were people, mostly chicks, but there were people sleeping in beds in the same room, half passed out, I guess but in the same room where we were kind of partying at the same time and looking in the mirror. And, and then we went down on stage, I remember, and it was New Year's Eve, so everybody was pretty tipsy, you know, to say the least. And we played Old Lang Syne, okay? <laughs> Pentagram plays Old Lang Syne. Yes, oh exactly, God. yeah. And I, I remember thinking, wow, man, he's hit the wrong note on the bass, you know. Is he doing it right? I hope we don't butcher Old Lang Syne. Well, <laughs> I'm sure back in those one. days, the audience was probably just as much into recreational activity as the band, and, and even if you did, they didn't notice, <laughs> especially yeah, at midnight. Yeah, I hope. <laughs> You're right, right. Everybody was clocked, yeah, and everybody enjoyed themselves nevertheless, but, you know, I, I was – you know, it just gave me a remembrance of that, you know. You know, and, and so, talking about that, and I said back in those back in those days, you know, everything has changed since you started in the industry. I mean, completely changed. Now everything very is, much so. and this is this interview is going to be, of course, driven by this as well. Social media. What What do you think that? How do you think this has shaped everything? And what do you think that? Do you think there's benefits to it? Is it one of those things where it's just a pain in the butt for you? What's your What's your take on social media and its effects now on music and especially Pentagram? Well, I, I'm not. I mean, I spend my days. Don't get me wrong, like everyone else does, with the little telephone in my hand thing. Is it the all banana? day and all night? Sometimes is it the banana, no, not telephone? The banana phone? Not the banana phone because the banana. <laughs> <laughs> no, the banana phone was sent to me by a, a dear friend of mine, Jessica Huffer. Uh, she's followed the band for years and years, and she knows uh, that I like the cartoon on, what is it, Gumball Cartoons. There's a guy, Mr. Banana, on there. Yeah. And he cracks me up because he has these spaghetti strap little 
tiny, look like shoelaces for arms. It's just kind of flying out. And his eyes look like the guy is meffed and coked out <laughs> to the max. And I looked at him one day and I said, wow, Mr. Banana, of all things. And I like, I'm kind of like a little kid. And it was like, I'm going to adopt and become Mr. Banana, right? Because <laughs> I like the wild, veiny look. And, you know, I've communicated with you many times on the right. phone, you know, off, off the situation we're in now. Yeah. And I, I like to send the picture of Mr. Banana because looking at Mr. Banana always cracks me up. I, and like in my, my phone, the the cover, you know, my phone, the face page or whatever it is, you know, in general, uh, is bunches and bunches of bananas. Right? And that's all I have on my phone. And and so this uh, this friend of mine, she, she's done photography for us, and she has traveled all over the United States to see us in different places. And uh, she she took to this, you know, it cracked her up also. So she, uh, as a gift, she sent me a banana phone. <laughs> okay. You know, one and, of the, go ahead. No, no, go on. Go I was going to say one of the funniest it. things is if you take a picture of Bobby Liebling up on stage and then he sends you a mm -hmm. picture of, of himself talking on a banana phone, it's like, what the hell am I looking at here? <laughs> It's awesome. It's just yeah, it, yeah. when you sent that to me, it just cracked me up, Bobby. It really did. So the social media yeah. thing, we kind of—I mm -hmm. had to ask about the I, banana phone. I'm so sorry. I got off track with that. Hey, no, no problem, man. It's just I like keeping the thing loose here because we're, we're, you know, we're enjoying a conversation, not just you know this one-way interview, question answer, question answer. So it's it's more fun to me. I can feel a little more relaxed and at ease because. Believe it or not, I, I actually, like, my stomach got in knots when, when the phone rang and you called me to do this interview today because I still get the butterflies. It's like, wow, I'm going to have to, like I said to you before, once before, I have to pull my pants down in public. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's right? just... And I'm conscious of it, you know. Well, anytime you're naked in public, you got to be conscious of that. But hopefully, what? Yes. Hopefully, whoever sees your ass goes, "Okay, that ass ain't bad." <laughs> you know, that's the thing. We got the yeah, size. Right. Touched on this yesterday. We got this. I got the saying. It's you know, I got to pull up my skirt and show everybody my woohoo here. So exactly, you know, you know anything you do nowadays, and that goes back to the social media thing, like we were just talking about. Anything you do, you are exposing yourself. Whatever goes out there is permanent. So you want to make sure it's, that yes. yeah you get the butterflies in your stomach. It's like wow, what if I make a gaffe or I say something? But I mean, everybody does it. So it's it's yeah. I want to keep it loose. I'd rather keep it loose. You know, I had butterflies in my stomach because the nerves of having to you know put this together. And Bobby Liebling's coming on, taking time out of his day to come on this show. And it's like God <laughs> is the is the level set right? Are the effects going to be good? Is the quality going to be good? And it's just, yeah, starting this out, I'm like, oh, God, how's this going to go with this new system I got? But I think it's going okay. But, yeah, I agree with that. But, yeah, that's the thing with social media. Whatever you put out there, it sticks. Um, yeah. But yeah, I it's, like, it's, it's like the like when you do an album. It's indelible ink. So right. you – I, and thank God for studios being able to go back and piece things back together again in that way, you know, so you can cover up all the, the little bloopers that you don't like about it and say, well, here's my shiny, perfect product, folks, you know, 
and it's, it's the same kind of thing on social media. You know, you're going to get judged right away. Yeah, but it's and, got to... and some people are at, some people are out there just literally to pick you apart, and that's what they do with their day. It's like, how can I critique this with my uh, my feel of the social media situation being up and not get judged in some way or another, you know, and not, not be, not have repercussions and so forth. You, you, they make you conscious of all this stuff. Like what the hell can, can I say it right? Did I do it right? Right. And so forth. You know, well, that's, and one that of the, sucks. Well, that's the worst thing about social media in my mind. And it, you know, people get on here and they act big and tough behind a keyboard because they know they're not going to get their butts kicked in real life exactly yes it's like say it to me in person you know <laughs> no absolutely it's it's i think it's actually you know created a problem especially with this generation man it's they get on there and say nasty nasty stuff to people people minding their own they just get on there and start trolling and it's that's that's one of the downsides of social media it's given people in just in my opinion a false sense of security that they can get away with murder if they want to do it um, totally to the nines, man. I mean, because everyone's a big shot when they're just speaking in print, you know, because everyone feels like they can go overboard. And it, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know how to put it, but, you know, they get overconfident because they're invincible on social media. Right. And you can, and it's really easy for somebody that doesn't like you or disagree with you or have a personal issue with you to string you mm -hmm. up in the, in the, court of public opinion and it can ruin people right. i mean you talk about these you got teenagers committing suicide because these you know i'm going to kind of go off and use a little bit of foul language here these sick pricks that bully these right. kids so there's definitely negatives to it so we talked about the negatives what do you think do you think there's any positives in social media i mean there's got to be especially for the band well i i think that they're in in a in the rock and roll world, of course, you got the benefits of reaching people in faraway places that you never dreamt you could. That is a big plus, you know, with nowadays. But nevertheless, uh, it, people uh, people people are going to judge, but you don't need uh, a heckler, is what it's like. In right. an audience at a comedy club, right. you know, you gotta remember you're always subject to the to the guy going, "I am the last combat boots," you know, on and on. Well, it goes back <laughs> and, to that once again. You're you're pulling down your pants in front of the whole world, and you're going to be exposed yeah. to it. What? Yeah, what? but on, but on the good side, like you like you ask, on the good side of the coin, you can hit masses and masses of people. And that's a great marketing tool. Did you ever think you know? back when you started and you were, you know, recording these first singles, if what would you say if somebody came up to you and said, you know what, Bobby, in 50 years, you'll just be able to click a button. You can have this song mixed in 15 minutes and it'll be out there and it'll be awesome quality and the whole world can have access to it for nothing. What would you think at that point? I mean, it had to be because I know what bands had to go through back then. It's just got to be. Yeah, I, I would have thought they're nuts. You know, I mean, it's like, what are you talking about? You know? I mean, we don't have jetpacks yet. <laughs> we don't have jetpacks yet, but we have social media. So there's good and bad that goes with it, definitely. Um, yeah. So I know you guys had some tours. 
I th- I'm pretty sure you had, what, did you guys have a South American tour? And, and I apologize for not being brushed up on this. I should have been. But I thought you guys had some stuff scheduled before COVID hit. Uh, we did. We were, we were supposed to do our first tour of South America and our first Japanese dates. Oh, and, yeah. um, and as well as uh, going back to Europe and Scandinavia and all the stuff was canceled. And that was, you know, oh, my gosh. This whole back to dust, you know, it was, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I really hope we back there still, nevertheless, next year. You know, if my health holds up and God will be me, I really hope we can. I think your health's going to be um, fine. You, you sound like you're full of piss and vinegar today, so I think you sound pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the vinegar you have, but uh, I'll have to piss soon. <laughs> anyway, but no. Uh, well, seriously. Seriously, yes, I, I love to get to those places. I really wanted to play them badly, you know. So, it, but it does sound like you're going to hold out as long as this COVID thing goes. We're going to see more pentagram. We're going to see pentagram in South America. We're going to see pentagram in Japan. You said for the first time, right? Yeah, in South America is the first time too. I mean, yeah. You know. Wow, and then hopefully across the states. So it's pentagram isn't over. Just like nothing else is over at this point, Pentagram's just on hold. You guys are going to come back and continue to kick ass like you have for the past 50 years as soon as this stuff hey, lets up. If I'm alive, there will be a Pentagram. Whether, I mean, not to sound cold or detached from the band members and so forth, but right. i I got to keep carrying the flag one way or another. And... Uh, it's compulsion. It's an addiction. You know, I mean, if I'm alive and I'm healthy enough, yes, we're going to, we'll be back out there some more. You know, we, we were thinking of doing a live album possibly of different, on different locations uh, of, of the May 12, 14 songs that we do in the set, you know, and uh, kind of putting that together and putting out a live, you know, album that's, an officially best of us, you know. Right, right. And so that's if, a, I, if I'm there, if I'm there, there will be pentagram. If I'm alive, you know, and, and healthy. Well, I, I, can't, I can't. Absolutely, cannot wait to see you guys back out there again. I can't wait for the stuff coming down the line, albums wise. And you know what? I'm gonna do my do my part to help you carry the flag. Anything I can do to get this stuff out, you know, I'll do it. And uh, you know, Bobby, I can't. I cannot thank you Social enough. Media. <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest or anything you want to say? Oh, uh, no. Uh, just uh, the usual. I always close it up with the same thing. And that's if you guys out there keep listening, then we will keep bringing it because that's what it's all about. You know, it's a, it's a great way of communicating to people, whether it's musical notes, you know, or message and so forth or back to them and interrelating, you know, with people around. And now, especially with the, with the climate that we have and, and not being able to to have the the endless unboundaries where, you know, with the fact that we're trapped in, a lot of us, you know, I'm frustrated and we're, you know, uptight and we really need outlet. Right. And music music's such an incredible outlet, you know. So I hope people will keep on doing it. I've, I've got... I also, uh, I've written about a half a dozen brand new songs. I haven't written songs in many, many years now. You've um, had the time, I right? Just, yeah. And well, 
it's crazy too because like the song Sign of the Wolf, which I wrote in a hospital bed with no instrument, I've done this with all six of these songs. I don't have any instrument or and I'm, they're not committed to paper, but I know how they're gonna go in my head from right. start to finish. And I can't wait to, you know, reconvene with the guys and get this, you know, put onto guitar and then kind of show them, you know, the parts and stuff like that. I'm anxious to do that. So hopefully besides doing live, there will be some new studio stuff coming up. I'm hoping in the next year. I just hope this stuff lets up, man. You know, it, it, it does really put a damper and I feel like live, live rock music is going to be one of the very, very last things able to return to yeah. the public, unfortunately. You know? yeah. I mean, I'm watching right now, silently, I'm watching Nationals Park. I'm a, I'm a big baseball fanatic. Yeah, you were telling right? me. I, I asked you one time. <laughs> we, were, we were just shooting the breeze, and I mm -hmm. asked you, and I said, so what do you do at night? And you're like, I sit down and watch baseball. <laughs> Lay on the couch and watch baseball. Yeah. So I can only imagine yeah. how this is taking its toll. You can't even watch baseball. No, I can't watch baseball, but now, you know, at least with an abbreviated, instead of 162 games, it's a 60-game season coming up, but baseball has started it again, and, you know, they're they're doing the retraining, spring training type stuff in the summer, of course, and I'm watching Park, and I think, wow, they're going to be empty even when they play, and, you know, baseball is a form of entertainment. It is. There's, you know. Professional sports are entertaining, man. We need this stuff. We need to, you know, have a, our cause to root for and just like a favorite band. And so I really hope that, that the entertainment industry will be able to open back up, you know, to, to somewhat of a semblance of, of normalcy, you know, in the near future because it's, it's really gotten dark and doom. Well. <laughs> Yeah, the kind of doom that nobody wants, right? Right, right. Yeah, this is this is not doom metal. This is doomed. <laughs> Big and difference. We're all kind of there. Big yes, difference. there very much is. Yes, yeah. But much. I think it's going to turn around. It has to turn around. Um, I'm keeping optimistic from what I've seen on the numbers, and I think that uh, that you guys are going to be back out there, like I said, kicking butt again. And I can't wait to see it. Well, thank you so much, man. I, I really hope so. Pray for that. So, we all pray. I think we all should yes. pray that we can get live music back out there because we need it. We need it probably more now than we definitely. ever have before. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So with that being said, Bobby, once again, I thank you. And we're going to wrap this sucker up. We're going to wrap it up with Bobby's favorite pentagram song, which is Out of Luck. This is Donzo, and I'm out. Mm -hmm.